The Titans were dominated on both sides of the ball. Offense was destroyed. Three points total in the game. Defense gives up 27 to the Browns. We are going to do a recap right now. This is the Music City Audible. Let's get to it. Uh, that's a first for me. I remember you know, a tight end following me you know, here with the, the Steelers last year. But uh, never seen two guys following me across the line. And uh, I was going to keep on messing around with them seeing as they couldn't snap the ball like that so I was uh just having a little bit a little bit of fun and wherever they settled I was gonna go the other way so we're just gonna play in this cat and mouse game all day that was Miles Garrett talking post game about the play that has gone viral all over Twitter if you're a Titans fan on Twitter you've probably seen it if you are just a viewer of this podcast and a fan of the Titans and maybe you haven't seen the replay of it but Late in the game on a third down near their own goal line, the Titans had two tight ends going in motion with Miles Garrett. Wherever he lined up, these two guys were going to go on the same side of the field and try to block him. And eventually, with Miles Garrett just switching back and forth, it led to a timeout to avoid a delay a game penalty. Um, This is the Music City Audible. Thank you all for tuning in. Justin Graver here alongside Justin Mello, as always. We're going to recap quickly here a game, an ugly game that the Titans will want to flush out of their system as quickly as possible. Justin, how many times can we keep doing this? You know, it's one thing if the Titans lose because they just get beat. The other team just makes, you know, one or two more plays than they're able to do. This is the second time already this year. It's happened a handful of times the last few seasons where we're just like, there's nothing good to take away from that game. Flush it and move on to the next week. How many times can this keep happening before we really start to question what this Titans team can do? Well, it's like questioning the meaning of life, right? You don't want to get too deep into the weeds, <laughs> I think. Um, that Miles Garrett quote, I'll start with this since you played it. It's it's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Like you gotta you, you can't help but feel embarrassed for the Titans, right? Like it's just he basically said you know, have a little bit of fun. He didn't have a little bit of fun, he had a lot of fun in this game. A lot yeah. of fun, right? All through four quarters. So uh it makes him look like a joke, in all honesty, right? And I'm sure Mike Vrabel wouldn't love hearing a quote like that, because he literally says I decided to have fun with them. I'm going to keep going back and forth, see how many times they're going to follow me. Like, it's just pathetic, in all honesty. And this was a pathetic showing, one of the worst of the Mike Vrabel era. There have been a couple. I, I, I've been big on recency bias these last few days. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people are suffering from that, and I get it. It always feels worse when it's happening in the moment, right? But there have been some others that have been just as ugly, if not equally as ugly. In fact, I told the story uh in the group chat the other day i think you were there uh was it the 2018 2019 ravens game i think was mariota was still the starter i think where they got sacked like a record amount of times uh i had played flag football that morning and i got a black eye how do you get a black eye playing flag football a guy like ran right into my (laughs) face not knocked me over when i wasn't looking ridiculous defender and um i had a black eye couldn't see out of it. it was sunday morning i was so upset i was gonna miss the game my girlfriend was over, and I remember just, you know, she, she doesn't watch a whole lot of football with me. I remember asking her, you, can you kind of tell me? I could not see out of my eye legitimately. Can you tell me what's happening? What am I missing? And she just kept going, uh, I think the quarterback got sacked again. Again? I mean, they gave up, <laughs> what, 10, 11 sacks in that game, if I recall correctly? Something ridiculous. So they've had some ugly ones uh, over these last five or six years, but this one's certainly up there. Yeah, you're referring to the 21-0 beatdown that the Ravens gave the Titans. It was 11 sacks that Marcus Mariota took in that <laughs> one. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad you brought that game up because I do think recency bias plays a, a factor in this. But even that game was only 21-0. There haven't been a ton of, like, really, really awful blowouts in the Mike Vrabel era. There have been a few. 
this game 27 to 3 i tweeted it out when it was like i think it was 20 to 3 it might as well have been 100 to 3 the way the titans offense was playing and it felt a little bit like it was 100 to 3 but they had games in 2018 they lost 38 to 10 to to indianapolis that year they had a game last year against the eagles they lost 35 to 10 but i think what felt so that was bad I think what felt so different, like the reason this game felt so bad was just because, well, A, they, the Titans had, I think, 94 total yards of offense, which is the fewest number of offensive yards they've had in a game since they moved to Tennessee from Houston. So that right there tells you how poor the offense was. And then it it was just a cascading game of missed opportunities. Like if Tannehill wasn't under immediate pressure... I think he had maybe three good plays. Like, I think there were three good plays the Titans made in this entire game. One was a, a early pass to Hopkins. One was a, a little bit later pass to Hopkins during that two-minute drive before the half. And then there was the Chris Moore catch also on that two-minute drive. Hopkins almost had another incredible play where you could argue maybe his his toes touched the blade of grass and the rules analyst that CBS had on the broadcast said he thought he probably touched, but they wasn't clear enough to overturn it. Uh, the call on the field was incomplete. But really, I mean, outside of those three plays, like it was an abysmal day at the office for the Titans. If they, like I said, if Tannehill wasn't getting immediately pressured, he was throwing to a receiver who was dropping a pass or getting tackled immediately behind the line of scrimmage. And the story of this game was really Miles Garrett, just almost a one-man wrecking crew. And I went back and watched the game Monday morning and watched the All-22 film. And Why? My takeaway was... Well, I'm going to do a film breakdown. So for everyone listening to this on the audio version, make sure you're subscribed to the Music City Audible on YouTube so you see and get an alert when I drop this film breakdown, basically looking at how Miles Garrett was able to dominate the Titans offense. And so I started looking at this because I think the big reaction coming out of the game was like, why didn't the Titans do more to account for Garrett? Why weren't they helping Andre Dillard more? Andre Dillard, who allowed seven pressures and three sacks in this game, is up to six sacks on the season through three weeks. Everybody talks about how bad Dennis Daly was. Dennis Daly allowed 12 sacks the entire season last year. Andre Dillard's already at half of that number through just three games. But my takeaway from watching it was the Titans actually did try to account for Dillard a lot. I mean, sorry, for Garrett a little more than maybe we gave them credit for or maybe than it appeared coming out of the game. If you just look at the first few drives of the game, first play of the game is a play action where the run action is going right at Garrett with Tannehill booting out the other direction, throws a little pass to Traylon Burks. It goes for five yards. Then they're running the ball, they're handing the ball off away from Garrett. They get the ball after the Sean Murphy bunting strip fumble and immediately try to run plays away from Garrett. They had a quick screen set up to Henry that Miles Garrett blew up because they Andre Dillard literally couldn't hold a block for like one and a half seconds to allow Tannehill to get the pass out to Henry in the flat. That was the strip sack that Henry was able to dive back on. The next the next third down that came up, it was third and long. They tried a little screen pass to uh, Chigakonquo on the outside on that first or the second series of the game they tried a little screen pass on third and long to Tajay Spears that didn't go anywhere so like it wasn't that they weren't trying to avoid Garrett it was just that when they did try to avoid Garrett the run plays were either getting blown up in the backfield by someone other than Garrett because the the Browns have seven or eight man, men in the box and I know the stats are out there that Henry didn't actually face that many defenders in the box on a majority of his carries but they just weren't blocking, you know, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromora coming in so quickly before the receiver can make the crack block on the outside or just other guys getting penetration. Daniel Brunskill got abused on one run play. Dylan Radins was getting pushed back. Like it wasn't actually all Garrett, which was my biggest takeaway. But when they did try to avoid him, when they did try to run those screens, 
it just didn't work. They, they didn't block the other Browns players well enough. And there were even a couple drives where Garrett was on the sideline for the whole drive. And uh, the Titans were barely able to muster any yards. They, that was when the, the first Hopkins catch happened. Garrett off the field. Tannehill finally has a second to throw the ball and they, they make something happen. But anyway, they did try to account for Garrett. I don't think they did enough to account for Garrett. I think that they left Andre Dillard one-on-one too often. I think the screens that they tried to, to run were too predictable. They didn't have offensive linemen like allowing the rushers to get to Tannehill intentionally so that they could get out into space. And the Browns were ready for all that stuff because, I mean, if you and I can sit here on the preview pod and talk about how to mitigate what's going to be a ferocious pass rush against a weak offensive line by running quick passes and screens, the Browns know that that's coming too and they were totally ready for it. So I think... All in all, the Titans just got completely outcoached and completely outplayed in both phases of the game. I would say all three phases, but special teams, not bad. Special teams was probably the highlight of the Titans' day. Stonehouse with good punts, good ball placement on the sideline, good kick coverage when they did field the punt. Mason Kinsey had a couple nice-ish returns. Nick Folk hit his only field goal attempt. But overall, it was just a disaster of a game. Hey, we're praising special teams. They look, they had a lot of practice. Stonehouse punted seven <laughs> times. Of course, he looked good, right? And you got seven opportunities to punt the football. Um, I've got a couple things I want to say, and it's probably going to be a little bit all over the place. I got a jumble, jumbled mind of ideas with some of the stuff that you said. First of all, you mentioned the stat 94 yards, fewest since they moved to Nashville. I want to add to that that they had 80 yards in penalties in this game. So they only had 14 more total yards of offense than they did. Penalty yards, 80 yards and penalties, 94 yards of offense. I mean, that is beyond pathetic. Um, this is one of those games where if you just look at the box score, you see that your quarterback was 13 of 25 for 104 yards. Your initial thought is probably like, oh, my God, the quarterback played terribly, right? What a nightmare outing for the quarterback. And yet I left this one essentially feeling like Tannehill was almost completely absolved of blame, right? <laughs> like not really a whole lot he could have done differently in my opinion, right? To, to four things to have gone differently. Um, geez, what else do I want to add? Yeah. A lot of hate for Andre Dillard. Look, he, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he doesn't deserve it. He does, you know, he gave up what probably three and a half sacks, right. And the pressures are what they are. I will say though, and I'm not, I'm not defending him by any, by any stretch of the imagination, but these numbers, it's like he's on pace to give up triple the amount of sacks that Dennis Daly gave up triple the amount of pressures that Dennis Daly gave up. That's like a guy, you know, rushing for 300 yards in in, in week one and telling <laughs> me he's on pace to run for whatever the fuck, you know, 5,000 yards of rushing on the season. No, because it's probably not going to be that bad most of the year, right? So I don't really like extrapolating this three-game sample size to tell you how poorly Andre Dillard is playing because I don't think he's going to give up more pressures, more sacks than, than Dennis Daly did, um, for example. So I, I haven't quite been on board with that. And... The other thing I wanted to add, and you kind of brought it up, and I didn't expect you to because we didn't plan this, but I'm glad that you did. For all the hate for Andre Dillard, and again, I get it. He was the one that was getting beat snap after snap in pass pro. I thought all five of them were bad in run blocking. I I don't think you get those results in run blocking that you did or that um, without all of them being bad, right? Derrick Henry, 11 carries for 20 yards. That's 1.8 yards per carry. And he had a long rush of nine. So what is that? The other 10 carries went for what? Nine, uh, 11 yards, excuse me. Like that's crazy, right? And a bunch of those were stuffed at the line of scrimmage and there was nothing he could do. He was getting gang tackled at or behind the line of scrimmage. It wasn't one guy coming in. It felt like it was three, four, five. Every single time they tried running the football and Tajay Spears, 
fared no better. Four carries for six yards. And I thought consistently when they failed in the run game, for the most part, there wasn't one guy failing. It was essentially all five of them. Yeah, and there's one play that I thought about tweeting and decided not to where Henry takes a handoff and it's like immediately there are four guys in the backfield. Immediately. And one of the reasons is like maybe they should have checked out of a run here because when you look at it pre-snap, it's like the Browns have every gap every single gap covered inside to out, plus maybe one or two additional guys. There there was not going to be running room on this play unless they got really creative with it. We don't see them getting that creative. Like We don't see the, the way Mike McDaniel is running the Dolphins offense with like just so many different pre-snap looks and pre-snap motions that all end up in essentially the same crack back, crack toss type of play. Like the Titans are are just lining up and trying to run right at you and run to their, you know, what they believe is their strength and has been their strength the past few years, but it wasn't their strength. It hasn't been their strength this season. Henry hasn't really had a great game. They haven't had a great rushing attack through three weeks. And uh, it definitely wasn't working in this week three game. And so I actually get, you know, Tajay Spears out snapped Derrick Henry again. I get it. Like the run was not there. They tried in the first half, I think three consecutive times, Henry lost like three or four yards on three consecutive run attempts. Like when that's happening, there's nothing that you can do about it except like, are you going to keep trying that and keep running the ball and losing three yards on first or second down? Like it, like I kind of get it where they're coming from. And I just think they needed to have a better game plan, like a more creative approach to attacking what has been a really good Browns defense. I think we're underrating even how good the Browns defense was in this game because their first two opponents, you know, like the Bengals playing with Joe Burrow coming fresh off of that injury with hardly any practice time. We'll look back on that now and it's like, well, maybe the Browns D is just really, really good. The Steelers game, like obviously we mentioned this on the preview pod, like without those two defensive touchdowns, the Steelers scored, they had what, 12, 14 points, something like that. Like, that would have been a really poor offensive showing for the Steelers and the Browns EPA per play. Like they're, I think their three games are the three best defensive performances of the season in terms of EPA per play. I think I saw that on Twitter or something like that. So like when you are faced up, when you're matched up with some, with a defense that's been that good, like you just have to get more creative with the ball. You can't just say, we're going to run our offense and not care who's on the other side of the field. And uh, that's not what happened in this game. And um, I'm glad you mentioned the Tannehill thing because I, I agree. It's like this is that's the biggest difference coming out of this game from, you know, the week one loss at the Saints is like in week one, it was like most everyone played decent. Tannehill was just so bad. It sank any chance of success for this team in this game. It wasn't like Tannehill was uh, like I agree he wasn't to blame. But on the other side of things, and this is where I think I can start getting really controversial here. It's super, super early in the season to have this conversation. You know where I'm going with this. Tannehill didn't do anything to rise above the terrible circumstances. And he's never been a guy that is going to rise above terrible, terrible circumstances. He's never shown tremendous creativity as a passer. And what I mean by that is like looking to make, make, looking to extend plays and see where you can attack the defense uh, once the the snap is in your hand, like versus just running the, the call, the play that is called exactly as it's called and going through your progressions and finding whatever, like doing something creative in the pocket or out of the pocket. And that's just not who he is. And at this point in his career at 35, 36 years old, he has basically no escapability left. He managed to get outside the pocket and throw the ball away a couple times in this game. But in terms of like what we saw on the other side of the field in this game with the Titans getting to Deshaun Watson frequently, especially on the, in the first quarter and just failing to bring him down Tannehill doesn't give you any of that. And so 
I ask way too early in the season, when do the Titans make a quarterback change? Do things really have to get off the rails over the next few games before we see that happen? Is it going to happen at all? And before I let you answer that, I'm just going to tell you my opinion here. I think they should just do it. Bite the bullet and do it. And look, I I know things aren't going to be as bad as they were in this game every single week. But when you look at how the team has performed through three weeks, when you look at our preseason expectations with, you know, we knew they had holes on the offensive line. We knew that was going to be an issue. It completely sank them in this game in both the running and passing game. We knew they had a lack of weapons and at least experienced playmakers on offense. And all the guys that we hoped would take a big step forward, Chigakonquo, Traylon Burks, breakout season, like Burks had two or three crucial drops in this game. Yes, he was running wide open on another play where Tannehill missed him. That's on Tannehill for sure. I just think this team's not going anywhere this year. They can play way better than they played on Sunday, and this team is not winning a Super Bowl. They could win a weak division. They could go 8-9, and 7-10 even, and maybe win a weak division. They could make the playoffs if they keep Tannehill as their starter. He might give you the best chance to win now. But what are they going to do in the playoffs if they have to go up against this Browns team again, if they have to go up against the Dolphins, if they have to go against the Ravens, the Chiefs, any of the teams that are going to win their divisions? I just don't see how this Titans team is going to win the Super Bowl this year. So really all you're doing by continuing to play Tannehill is hurting your future. This is likely Tannehill's last year in Tennessee. This is a loaded quarterback draft class coming up in 2024. Like a really one of the deepest classes we've seen in a long time. Maybe not a ton of like, super elite quarterbacks, but guys that are going to be drafted in the second, third, and fourth rounds and become starters in the NFL, I think, at least for a few seasons to see what they got. You have to know before the draft gets here if Malik Willis or Will Levis can be a franchise quarterback. And you're not going to find that out if you stick with Tannehill the entire season. And again, maybe Tannehill gives you the best chance to win. I don't think, this is why I don't think it's ever going to happen before the Titans are like one and seven or two and five or they got to be really bad before Mike Vrabel actually does this, but I think they should do it because they're not winning at all this year with Tannehill or without him. See if a Malik Willis, for instance, sure, he struggled a lot last year, hasn't really shown the ability to, to read defenses at a high level, was okay in the preseason, not great, not horrible, but you know what he adds that Tannehill doesn't have anymore? is escapability. And I know he took a lot of sacks in college, and I know he took a lot of sacks when he started last year, but he has at least shown flashes of the ability to evade pressure in the pocket, to make the first pass rusher miss, to get out of the pocket and scramble or throw the ball downfield, even if it's a bad throw, to at least mitigate some of the troubles that you're going to have all season long behind this offensive line. Let's see if he can show improvement throughout the season like he showed in training camp. Let's see if Malik Willis is your guy. Give him a handful of games. If it's if he's not it, then you let the rookie try. Let Will Levis have a go at it and see if either of these guys can elevate the players around them because what Ryan Tannehill does is he will give you exactly what you expect with the players around you. If you have great playmakers like A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry Moore in his prime and a good run-blocking offensive line, yeah, Ryan Tannehill can lead a, a potent offense. If you have a really subpar offensive line, Derrick Henry getting older, playmakers that are questionable... Ryan, this is what you're going to get from Tannehill. And so that's a long monologue to say. I think it's time just because you're not going anywhere. Let's see what else you got. Let's see if you can spark something. And the last thing I'll say before I turn it back to you. Sorry, it's been a long monologue. In 2019, we had a huge debate amongst this fan base. Is it Mariota's fault? Is it the play calling? Is it the offense as a whole? Is it the re- like all the personnel together? And we thought, 
you know what? At the end of the day, Mariota's not playing great, but really this is a huge team failure. This isn't all his fault. And then Ryan Tannehill came in and everything changed. And I know Tannehill is now the guy that I'm saying you should take out of the lineup. It's it's five, four or five years later. Like he's a different player than he was back then. He's, he's considerably older. And uh, maybe you can get a similar spark just from a, a simple change at QB. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't think Malik Willis is leading this team to uh, 11 and five season and going on to win playoff games or whatever, 11 and six now, I guess. Um, But I just think you have to know if he can ever do it. And you have to know before you have a chance to draft a quarterback in this year's draft. And if he's, if he's bad, if him and Levis are both bad, maybe you have a chance at, you know, one of the two elite left tackles that are going to be in this draft class, a chance at Marvin Harrison jr. Or if you want to make the move again to take a potential franchise quarterback, at least you know. So that's my long monologue to say all that. Yeah, I've got a couple things. First off, when when they inserted Brian Tannehill in 2019, he was a veteran, right? Who'd been starting for multiple years in this league and I think was better suited to handle that change. They, they don't have that guy right now. And I take some offense to you saying maybe Ryan Tannehill gives them the best chance to win games right now. Cause oh, he 100,000% gives them the best chance to win football later. There's no doubt about it that he gives them the best chance to win games right now. I can agree with you in saying they're not going anywhere. They're not going to win a super bowl and it would be good to find out what you have. I get that. I, I, I do, but um, they're not going to make the move. Not yet. Certainly not until they're out of it. You look at the division right now, like the Colts are leading the division at two and one. You think the Colts are winning this division? They're not. Right. The Jags look like a massive disappointment at one and two. They just lost by 20 points to the Houston Texans. And I get it. Right. Yeah. Like winning the division at seven and ten, eight and nine, heck, even nine and eight, just to get blasted in the playoffs by a much better team doesn't do anything for you or for the, for the fan base. Right. It doesn't do anything for the fan base, but it probably does keep people from getting fired. Right. And that's what they're coaching for. Right. Like they're coaching for division titles. They're coaching for playoff appearances. So, I get it. Like at, at some point, if this keeps going the way it's going, you're going to have to find out what you have in your young quarterbacks. But I'll be honest with you, like with the situation that it is right now, I'm extremely pessimistic. Like I, I don't see how there's any way they put one of these young quarterbacks into this situation and find, find out something good, Like they're not going to learn anything good with this, what they have with this offensive line. Like this is going to sound terrible of me to say, but I'm going to say it. I, I think I would be more willing to put Malik Willis in than I would Will Levis. And this sounds bad, Same. but teams think like this because you have more invested in Will Levis, in all honesty. Like, I, I don't think they're really expecting Malik Willis to come out and prove himself as a long-term starting quarterback. So I think if they're willing to risk one of them behind this supporting cast, that looks like it sucks. I think they would be willing to do it with the one they have less invested in. They would never say it, but it's almost like throwing caution to the wind where you say, you know what, uh, let's take a chance on a guy that we, we probably don't think is our franchise guy. And if he's not, you know, behind the supporting cast, he's not capable. What, you know, we really weren't expecting it anyway. So let's just move on. Right from him right whereas at this point in will levis i think they've got considerably more invested in him a he was drafted more recently he was picked fairly earlier than willis and he was picked by the current gm so and, and of course he's got less experience you know had that injury so i'd be pretty surprised if they're willing to throw will levis in behind this situation but i wouldn't be surprised if they throw in malik willis at some point and said hey let's see if the kid can surprise us yeah and you know 
this is all very negative outlook on the season here. We're talking about basically being over after three weeks. And that's <laughs> like a reality check here. You mentioned recency bias at the top of the show. Recency bias is, you know, coloring all of our opinions on this team right now. And I'm talking about the recency of Sunday. Let's look really quickly at a couple instances over the last couple seasons. In 2021, they got smoked in the opening game to the Cardinals, 38-13. They looked completely inept. They didn't look like they were going to be a competitive NFL team all season long from that one game. They went on to win eight of their next nine games. In 2022, week two against Buffalo, they lost 41-7. to Again, looked completely non-competitive on both sides of the ball. Didn't look like a team that was ready to compete at all this that season. They were 0-2 at that point. They went on to win seven of their next eight games before injuries totally ravaged them, and then they obviously lost the last seven. This team has done this before. They have had a totally uninspired week early in the season and then quickly turned things around to go on a big-time winning streak. That is totally possible that it happens again this year. They were completely unprepared for what the Browns threw at them on Sunday, but that doesn't mean that they won't learn from this, get better, and be better next week against the Bengals, especially if Joe Burrow is either injured or just straight up out of the game, playing through injury or not playing at all. Then they get the Colts, who may or may not have Anthony Richardson. I don't know if it's better for them, for the Titans, to face Anthony Richardson or Gardner Minshew at this point in Richardson's young career. Gardner Minshew is the one who led the Colts to victory over the Ravens. And then they play the Ravens in London, who just, again, lost to a Colts team quarterbacked by Gardner Minshew with very little, uh, like, pretty unproven, maybe even bad cornerbacks on their defense. Like, this is, it's not like the Colts are going to be a good team the rest of the season and the Ravens just lost to them. So, like, look, there is hope if you're a Titans fan who thinks they can still compete this year. I mentioned this after the week one game. You don't want to be at your best early in the season. You want to be at your best late in the season. You want to spend the entirety of the season improving and then be at your best heading into the playoffs. But so I'm not trying to lose all hope here. I'm just thinking like long term, what's best for the franchise? I think long term, what would be best for the franchise is making a quarterback change right now. I don't expect that to happen basically unless they are just completely terrible for the next four or five games. Maybe you you take a look at it at the bye week if they're one in five going into the bye. All that to say, I do think that Ryan Tannehill is going to be the starting quarterback for most of, if not all of this season. And I do think the Titans still have a chance to be competitive. I would still pick them to win the AFC South right now, even after what we just saw. Because like you mentioned, Jacksonville is struggling. Doug Peterson mentioned in his press conference that they're trying too hard to live up to preseason expectations. Um, CJ Stroud looks a lot better than we maybe expected, or maybe some of us didn't. Maybe some of us expect him to be this good. But um, he was very good on Sunday, leading the Texans to a huge win over the Jags. I don't think the Colts are are very good. I don't think the Texans are a great team, even with Stroud playing well. But they're another team that's going to be improving throughout the course of the year. All that to say, like, the Titans can definitely win the division. They can definitely make the playoffs. So the season's not over. It's just, it's a tough week to be a Titans fan. One silver lining, though, they were not the most embarrassing loss of the weekend. They weren't even in the top four, in my opinion. You got the the Bills routing the 2-0 Commanders. You had the Jags losing to the Texans. You had the Broncos losing 70-20. to Goodness gracious, you had the Chiefs putting in backups in the third quarter against the Bears. Like, there were teams that got their asses whooped this weekend. The Titans were one of them, but they weren't the worst. <laughs> Yeah, the Chicago Bears are an unserious football team. Very, very hard to take that team and that franchise seriously right now. Um, I've got a mirage of thoughts that I want to add before 
we eventually get out of here because I don't want to forget them. And then uh, again, they're a little all over the place, but you talked a little bit about how you thought the coaching staff could have done more and, you know, certain players rise above yada, yada. I've got a bit more of a simplistic, maybe even pessimistic point of view. You know what I think the Titans lacked over the Cleveland Browns in this game? What's that? They didn't have the better football players. Like they just, well, yeah, they're not, not going to have a better football. Like, That's going to be an issue for a lot of this season. <laughs> oh, for oh, for sure it is. They've got a they've, they've got a not so good roster, right? But it's like I, you know, I just at some point guys got to block, right? It's that simple. Like you could only do so much to scheme around a bad offensive line or to coach around guys that can't block. They couldn't block them. Like it, it was that simple. They couldn't block them. They didn't have the better football players couple other thoughts i did not think the coaching staff was at much fault for this game but if you follow our pal superhorn on twitter he's on one right now by the way i feel like superhorn is all the way back uh he tweeted out some great clips from that game can you believe that one i I don't think i noticed it in the moment um right after the turnover right you talked about it the miles garrett strip sack you brought it up earlier well you should have brought up superhorn's tweet about it i did not realize they're in 13 personnel on that play in shotgun not a whole lot you can do in shotgun and 13 personnel. For those of our listeners who don't know what 13 personnel is, one running back, one receiver, three tight ends. Shotgun from 13 personnel is very rare. You know what's even worse about that is that one receiver on the field was Nick Westbrook-Akine. That is mind-blowing to me. You've got DeAndre Hopkins, you've got Traylon Burks, a lot invested in both those receivers. And you go to one receiver on the field and it's Nick Westbrook-Akine. And guess what? At that point, you already had a good idea you were struggling to block them. You knew you were going to have a tough time blocking them. You put one receiver on the field as soon as you get the ball down there, essentially near the red zone, and it's going to be one receiver that's not very good at separating. Like if you're going to put one receiver on the field against that defensive front and you're struggling to block them, I hope it's one that can separate so Tannehill can get the ball out of his hands quickly. What ends up happening, that's the play where he's looking for Henry in the flat and Garrett beats Dillard with the quickness, gets him on a strip sack. Probably happens anyway. Who knows? But you know what? Maybe if you have DeAndre Hopkins, maybe if you have Traylon Burks in that game, and I'm very down on Burks right now, but I'm still saying maybe they beat their guy. Certainly a little bit quicker than Nick Westbrook-Akine can. So 13% shotgun in that situation with your third or fourth best receiver, third or fourth best healthy receiver being the lone wide out in the game is a mind-blowing call. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I mean, it's one of those situations where – they're, they're not necessarily telegraphing the play because they didn't hand it off to Derrick Henry. But when right. that's the personnel on the field, it's like there's only so many places this ball is going to go. And there there was a play, I, I wish I I think it was the Lions. The Lions ran a similar play, formation-wise at least, and they hit Sam Laporta for a 35-yard touchdown on this play because they had three tight ends in the game and they did a little play-action fake to make you think, well, we got three tight ends, we're obviously running the ball, and then they sent Sam Laporta up the seam and nobody covered him, essentially. They could try something like that. If you're going to do this whole three tight ends at a shotgun thing, at least be deceptive with it and and end up trying to target one of those guys that everyone on the Browns is looking at the offensive formation. They're thinking, this ball's either going to Henry or maybe it's a screen to Chigakonkwo. It's not going to be anything else. And then hit him with something else. <laughs> I actually wrote about that play for the Draft Network this morning, funny enough. Number one, uh, they they blocked, right? They gave Goff time to run the play action and, and go through progressions. And number two, and I'm not blaming you because I thought the same. I thought no one was covering Sam Laporta. Turns out it looked like if you look at the all 22, the safety, Laporta, the initial stem, 
gets the safety completely full going in a different direction and Laporta breaks back out to the outside ends up being wide open for a 45 yard touchdown grab so that's Mm. a beautiful play and I wish the Titans could run it but they can't block and they can't run routes and they uh, don't have anyone that can do any of those things so no they can't run it yeah we haven't talked about the Titans defense hardly at all here outside of mentioning that they weren't able to bring down Watson can we mention that Christian Fulton through the season is allowing a perfect 158.3 passer rating um he has been burnt toast uh crispy bacon out on the outside he gave up a long touchdown yeah he gave up a long touchdown to cooper he should have given up two. the refs blew the play dead when cooper was 100 percent still in bounds that was horrible officiating the titans actually nowhere got... near out of bounds nowhere yeah. near out of bounds <laughs> the first time that a touchdown comes off the board that helps the titans um <laughs> but I mean, he he has been really, really bad through two through the two games that he's played. The Titans secondary had a pretty good game in week two without him. So that makes me wonder what's going to happen with Christian Fulton. The pass rush, it was not as effective as I thought it would be. They they did a good job pressuring Watson. They had a handful of sacks, but they didn't do a good enough job of bringing him down. They committed way too many penalties in the secondary. When you have Deshaun Watson throw the ball backwards as he's being taken to the ground 16 yards and set up a second and 26, and the Browns get a first down on the very next play because of a long defensive pass interference penalty, it's just unacceptable. And that's what I meant by missed opportunities in this game. Like You had opportunities at the 19-yard line of the Browns after SMB has an amazing play to strip the ball and recover it and take it down to the 19-yard line. And what does the offense do? They lose seven or ni- seven or nine yards. I can't remember. They lose, I think, nine yards and end up kicking a field goal. So horrible blown opportunity there. The drops, but also on defense. You have Watson in your grasp so many times, and you're unable to bring him to the ground. You create a 16-yard loss, and then instead of like getting off the field or creating a turnover or setting yourself up with good field position, they allow a touchdown on that drive. They don't cover. Uh, Ziz Alshire is trying to cover Jerome Ford out of the backfield and bites way too hard on the fake slant, the sluggo route. Jerome Ford turns it upfield. He's wide open in the end zone. Just way too many times that the Titans were unable to capitalize on opportunities combined with getting straight up beat. And I mean, the Browns are not able to run the ball at all in this game. Like, c- can we talk about how many times the Browns ran the ball for zero, one or negative yards? I mean, they finished the game with 31 carries for 78 yards, 2.5 yards per carry. Lead back Jerome Ford, 10 carries for 18 yards. Kareem Hunt, five carries for 13 yards. Pierre Strong had a little bit of success, six carries for 27 yards. 4.7, 4.5 yards per carry, but everyone else was, I mean, they were pathetic running the ball. They tried to get Elijah Moore involved in the run game. He had three carries for minus one yard. They tried to get Marquise Goodwin involved in some of those end arounds. He had a carry for one yard. They direct snapped it to Harrison Bryant twice. He had two carries for four yards. Both of those were big conversions. So that's actually a successful play, even though he only finished with four yards on two carries. My point is, Great run defense is only going to get you so far. And eventually teams are just going to completely stop trying to run the ball against the Titans because they know they can beat them through the air. It's what we saw happen last season. And if the the pass rush is going to get to the quarterback and not sack anybody, you know, like that makes the secondary have to cover for so much longer that guys are going to get open eventually. And I just feel like this like emphasis on run defense Like, yeah, if you get in the playoffs and you're playing a close gritty game and the other team has a lead and they can't run the ball and it allows you to get back in the game, like, yeah, that's that's when you need to have a good run defense. But right now, like, having a good run defense is useless without a good pass defense to go with it. And that's kind of where the Titans sit again for the second year in a row. Yeah, I mean, look, I've been saying for a while now that what what do they get from their cornerbacks? They get, like, league average play. 
And maybe that Barely. was too generous, right? Like it, it wasn't yeah. the average on Sunday. It was really, really bad, right? Like the penalties. And there was a lot of complaining about the penalties. I thought most of them were penalties. Like I, I didn't have a lot yeah. of gripes with the flags. Like they, they were holding, they were interfering, yada, yada. Like they, they were penalties. So I thought Fulton had a terrible, terrible game. Uh, Murphy Bunting had the one moment, but he had some bad moments as well. Like just not a good performance for the secondary. And I'm going to make one final point on the offense because I'm going to pat myself on the back. You'll know I always take the opportunity. Uh, then we say I, I, I made multiple appearances this week on Brown's uh, podcasts and I kept getting asked about the offensive line. And I said to everyone, uh, I think everyone's sort of holding their breath because it was good through the first two weeks, but we don't really know yet. And at some point, you know, they're going to have a stinker. They're going to have a stinker that reminds you of what you thought they were going to be. And here it was. This is that stinker that you feared all summer long, right? In the first two weeks, it went well. But at least I, I know for me, I was still kind of like, ah, we'll see. You know what I mean? And they had that stinker. But certainly the play of the secondary was uh, was atrocious in this game. And I'm not going to let the defense off the hook. But I, I, I can't help but think to myself occasionally here, if the offense did anything, if they held onto the ball a bit longer, strung some drives together, maybe this defense only allows 20 points instead of 27. Yeah. You probably wouldn't feel so bad about the performance, right? If, they, if one of those touchdowns comes off the board and they hold them to 20 instead of 27, well, that's probably very realistic if the offense has more than freaking 94 yards in, in the whole game. So it was a bad performance by the defense. The corner play is what it is. It'll be better than it was on Sunday. Still never going to be great because that's what they have. They have a, about a, a league average room, maybe slightly below average. Uh, but overall, I, I still think the defense is the least of their concerns. Yeah, and I'll say this about the passing defense. If you are into sports betting, if you are into daily fantasy, or even just a fantasy football player, and you have the chance to bet on or play a quarterback or a wide receiver one going up against the Titans, you should probably play them basically every single week because the Titans have allowed the the other team's wide receiver one to have more fantasy points than anyone else through three weeks and quarterbacks to continually throw all over the field on them. And it would have been worse in this game if it had been even remotely close. Deshaun Watson finished with 289 yards on 27 of 33 passing, 8.8 yards per attempt. That was a 300-yard game waiting to happen. They just didn't need it to happen because they were winning by so many points. And I'm going to close this thing out by giving you some stats that just show the total and complete domination by the Browns in this game. Total plays. Browns ran 67. Titans ran 45. Total first downs. Browns had 23. Titans had 6. Third down efficiency. Browns 6 of 13. It's not amazing, but it's pretty good. You're almost 50% on third downs. Titans 2 of 12. Yards per play. Browns, 5.1. Titans, 2.1. Passing yards. Browns, 200. This accounts for sacks. Browns, 263. Titans, 68. Rushing yards. Browns, 78. Titans, 26. Red zone chances. Browns, 2 for 2. Titans, 0 for 2. And we haven't even talked about the mismanagement and the horrible fact that the Titans, one good drive ended in zero points right before halftime because they threw a, a short pass to Tajay Spears that went nowhere, forced them to burn a timeout, their only timeout remaining, and then when they had the ball with like 18, 12, what, 17 seconds, however many seconds left in the half, and they try to run the, a play on third down, and Tannehill gets sacked immediately because the, the protection can't hold up for even a second and a half. It was the fastest sack of the season, by the way, that snap to sack. That Miles Garrett sack right before the half was the fastest recorded sack of the season, according to Next Gen Stats. 
Titans come away with zero points there because they had to burn the timeout because of the short pass. They run a play on third down where the ball isn't designed to get out of Tannehill's hands immediately, although you can't really blame anyone but Andre Dillard for that one because, again, fastest sack of the season so far. And uh, they come away with zero points. Horrible, horrible sequence for the Titans there. But anyway, red zone. Titans 0 for 2. Browns 2 for 2. Penalties. Titans 8 for 80 yards. Browns 5 for 46 yards. And finally, time of possession. Titans 21 minutes, 31 seconds. Browns, 38 minutes, 29 seconds. The only thing the Titans did better than the Browns was protect the football. The Browns had one turnover, Titans had zero. But it was completely irrelevant because it didn't, they, if you're, if your offense is basically a punt every time you touch the ball, that's, that's worse than turning it over every time you touch the ball. Well, it's not worse, but I mean, <laughs> you can't overcome the turnover battle when you only have 94 yards of offense, uh, even if you win the turnover battle one to nothing and the other team still puts up 27 points on you. So, Anyway, like we said at the top, flush it and move on to the Bengals. Um, not that I think that, I mean, if Joe Burrow's hurt or hobbled, the Titans have a chance. But other than that, like, I don't know. Like I said before the week two game, when I predicted a Titans loss, I got to see it now before I can think that this offense can do anything. Because, yeah, they did it against the Chargers, who have been one of the worst defenses in the league now through three weeks. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything else to say about this team except that they continue to Build up my expectations only to pull them out from under me so fast that I don't even know what happened. The whiplash is just debilitating. You, you sum it up perfectly, right? They were just dominated in this game in all phases, in my opinion, both sides of the ball. This is essentially what we feared, right? The offensive line just preventing them from running an effective offense that looks like an NFL offense, right? They just weren't able to block all day long, and it is what it is. So they'll flush this one. A couple of things, by the way, we should quickly add. Uh, Dane Crookshank signed to the practice squad, I guess, old friend there, reunion. And I just broke on Twitter. People will see it uh, before this comes out, obviously. They're re-signing Otis Reese to the practice squad as well. Mm. He's someone that they had released from the 53-man roster late last week. So that's how they're rounding out the practice squad. Uh, Those two final spots they had, Dane Crookshank and Otis Reese. Yeah, okay. Those are good news items to mention here, even though... Nobody cares about the Titans right now. Nobody on Titans fan, nobody who is a Titans fan right now is excited about the Titans. And that's what happens when you get completely dominated on both sides of the ball. So hopefully, you know, for the sake of our YouTube channel that we're trying to grow here, the Titans can be better so that people want to tune into what we're talking about because otherwise who's going to care about the Titans? Um, anyway, that's a, that's my segue to remind everyone to please subscribe to the Music City Audible YouTube channel. We appreciate everyone for tuning in. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. We'll be back again this week to preview the Bengals game. We got a great guest coming on for that one. I'm going to do maybe one or two film breakdowns from this game if I can find anything positive to talk about from the Titans side. I will, but uh, mostly it's going to be positive about the Browns and negative about the Titans. So I'm definitely going to do the Miles Garrett, how he dominated the Titans offense breakdown coming later this week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, you all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.